0: Welcome to Talking TRM, the travel risk management podcast. I'm Bex Dedman and I'm an independent consultant specializing in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I have met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM. This is the podcast that brings various different people working in this field to really explore and talk about who they are, what they do and, and, and why they do it and I'm absolutely delighted to have a kind of more newer friend of mine, Mike, we haven't known each other for as long as maybe I've had some of my other guests but we've definitely been working together quite closely over the last sort of 18 months or so. Uh, so Mike Causey, um, a travel risk consultant. So an independent consultant like myself. Um and yes, let's dive into who you are and 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 what you do.
1: Thanks, Bex. I am a husband. I think that's probably the most important thing. And a father of four, husband of one, father of four. Um Fine, I live in the home yeah just always important um i live in the highlands of scotland at the moment but as you can hear not scottish um, but before that we actually lived for four years in, in the east of china as a family uh, and then before that in the south of england um, where um, I, I was based for years but my my history through that was financial services then oil and gas which was a huge uh, 10 years of learning of massive enjoyment actually in the role that i had and then in China, it was actually as a, a director of a network of international schools. So that was a very different industry. And yet my professional background in risk and travel and safety and security was brought to bear on that network of you know, a few thousand students and staff and lots and lots of travel across Asia and, and most of the world, in fact. Now, here in Scotland, I do, like all of us, do so much work from home. Um, but I, I do two predominant things. I train business leaders on how to understand duty of care, safety, health and security, travel risk. I also teach crisis management, but I also, um, I also consult in that, so directly work for individual multinationals via a couple of organisations like International SOS or, or like uh, Special Contingency Risks down in London, um, and I consult with individual firms looking at their travel risk management policy or their posture towards safety, health and security. Uh, on the side, I, I love getting involved in local community, so we live in a small town in the Highlands, so in between consultancy calls, I'm often dashing out just to get involved in, I don't know, the local Woodland Trust or uh, a little company I have that runs events. And so those are kind of uh, extra projects that I, I really enjoy.
0: Um, and I yeah. saw on your LinkedIn um, mountain, mountain yeah.
1: guide,
0: mountain rescue, yeah, that's right. So
1: I was brought up in the lake district and so mountains are just kind of baked into my heart i think really Mm -hmm. and so we live we live in the cairngorms and from our house you can just look across and see the the beautiful skyline right now completely covered in snow absolutely gorgeous Uh, but i am a mountain leader yeah it's it's the lowest level of qualification but it means that i get the joy of leading groups of both adults and young people in in mountains either duke of edinburgh gold expedition or a group of adults that want to do you know the three highest peaks in 24 hours whatever it might be
0: um but obviously um one of the main reasons that I really wanted to get you onto onto the podcast is is you know you've just talked about the sort of the wide range of different things that you do um we've worked together on obviously we got together as as far as sort of 31030 and then the kind of subgroups that have come off of that to to look at other standards in the area and it was really important to me that we kind of brought you into that group with your knowledge because not only are you um, teach you're, you're teaching this stuff so therefore you're kind of first-hand hearing what kind of people are, are, are thinking about it but you're also then going into corporates, and my experience so far is that this is a huge learning curve uh, for um. but also for the supply chain uh, itself so there's, there's quite a lot to be done on on both sides and I think um, consultants like us are going to be really busy over the next few years as it really kind of takes hold hopefully, yeah. um, but obviously there's there's a lot to talk about. So I want to just understand for our viewers, they've definitely got a bit of a delve into who you are, Mike, and thank you for being so open. I knew you would be, and I'm really grateful. Um, but I really want to now understand you know what is your drive because you're actually incredibly happy in your work, and that's an unusual thing for many of us, so um but there's there's a why behind mm-hmm. it, and I just really wonder if you can share some of that with us today.
1: Sure. Partly it's because I am designed this way. We we can't get away from who we are and nature and nurture, of course. And let's not spend hours talking about that. But we're designed in a certain way. And I, I find myself delighted and ready to help people. And in this regard, it's about helping to understand how to look after people for whom you're responsible and how to look after yourself when you're outside, I guess, your normal environment. I mean, that, that's a phrase that I use. You know when we're in my when I'm here in my home study when you're there when we're in an office that we're very familiar with um we're typically okay we're, the familiarity doesn't breed contempt familiarity is is a a high um a high good it's a good thing because we know what we're doing and we know where we are but when we're outside of that um travel particularly introduces stresses and strains that they're really easy to miss, and often what happens is they surface through either an incident that happens or you simply reach the limit of your control and demand capacity. And so things pop out. And so I'm kind of designed, I find myself designed to help. I want to help people to see how to look after themselves and others. And, and, and that's the kind of environment. I, I like giving people insight and impetus. I like telling stories of what I've been through over the years, because I think stories also uh, tell, um, they tell and impart huge insights that you can't any other way. Um, and so let me give you two of my own stories that are three stories that are really significant as steps on my own journey into this world. Firstly, 10 years in the oil and gas industry was amazing. Uh, I worked for a company that was brilliant at travel and travel risk. Now, maybe oil and gas probably way ahead of their time. In many senses, you have an oil and gas company that's working on the exploration uh, kind of limits and margins. You do find that those big integrated gas oil and gas companies they take all of the learnings of the oil rig or the exploration on the edge of a, of a continent somewhere and they introduce those into the office environment. So I join an oil and gas company and I have to hold the handrail going up the stairs. I have to have a lid on my hot coffee and I'm like, this is madness. And yet within a few months, I realise that this is a, a beautiful is too strong a word, a great reflection of what they've learned elsewhere and a desire to introduce a consistent high culture of behavior that is good for health and safety. So let's not anyone slip anywhere. If you hold the handrail in the office, you'll hold it when you're on a rig or in a refinery where it might be more critical. So I just, I love that. And I felt as I traveled and I traveled a lot for 10 years that I was always looked after. I was equipped and prepared for the travel I was doing. And I traveled in such a way that I was ready to work when I arrived or knew that I needed to rest and yeah. be somewhere still for a while. So there was kind of um, I felt like I had the capacity to make the right choice at any time about what I needed to do when I traveled. And that was really powerful. I felt like I was treated. What, what
0: yeah. was it, what was it, Mike, that made you feel like that? Can you put that into words? What were they doing? That was, that was different.
1: The first thing I noted when I joined that company was, and this maybe this will sound crazy and just, oh yeah, it's one of those. If you flew over four hours, you flew business class. And for me initially, that's like, oh, this is very nice. But actually, the only reason they defined that time period is health and safety. They were looking at deep vein thrombosis. They were looking at the propensity of their staff when on arrival to hit a higher car straight away in a country they'd never driven in before or to take an overnight flight and then suddenly to you know take a taxi straight to the office not the hotel so they wanted to the company i worked for wanted to ensure that their travelers knew that they could make a choice based on their own well-being and that was communicated really clearly um i guess there were also examples of where um, the company acted. So July seven seven, I wasn't involved myself, but I remember being on a conference call and the vice president of the business unit I worked for, he, he, he got a message, he stopped the call and he said, right, we're not going to do any work until every single one of your team is accounted for. If you have people in London, you go and you find them. And for a few hours, that's all we did. Everything stopped. I, I, you can tell, I'm telling you now because I can never forget that.
0: Yeah you no know, mark well, unfortunately, where I at, it's not it's not something we necessarily see in other companies is it so what a great first experience but would you say that's followed you through your career that
1: yeah, sort of definitely. level yeah i yeah absolutely i i just i remember mark picking up the phone finding out where somebody was and they they were in london but they weren't on the tube and then they, i think one uh, one part of my team was in a meeting in a hotel in london which is kind of expensive and time-consuming, but who cared? No one cared about that side of things. It was so much more about stop, go away, find out where your people are. And once we're accounted for everybody, we'll take stock and then we'll carry on with our work. But that pales into insignificance. That's powerful. I can never forget that. Really powerful. No.
0: And such an amazing blueprint for you to kind of then take in to sort of say this is what good really looks like. This is what... And not doing it for the not doing it for the sake of, it's just, it seems like, what did you feel that they already had a plan so that they knew and they were prepared or do you think that they were just very super reactive um when 7-7 happened?
1: That's a great question. Um I don't know. All I can say is that it didn't seem fake and it didn't seem like it was just that one vice president who knew what to do. You know, later in the day, I'd heard that everyone had done it. I think it was just, it was cultural. Deeply mm-hmm. behavioural and cultural, though that that's of course what we would do. And I've been there for a year or two at that point. Uh, yeah, two years at that point. Um, so yeah, it just seemed completely natural for that to be the course of action.
2: Not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030? A gap analysis exercise from ascent risk management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1 which is a s s e n t 1.com and booking your gap analysis today.
0: to know that you had this really wonderful experience in one of the first organizations that you kind of worked for um and i just wanted to know how, how it mirrored and your experience then mirrored in other organizations because this isn't how i hear many organizations operating and even in oil and gas um you know with yeah. my experiences in high risk countries people are on it you know they know that they've got to do it but obviously travel risk then talks about another side of it which is the kind of people risk management piece which can happen anywhere yeah. and that's where companies yeah. tend to fall down a little bit more um so what has this has your experience there sort of mirrored through other businesses that you've worked in um or do you think they are a bit of a rarity
1: let me go 50 50 <laughs> so don't so don't throw anyone under the bus but let me let me know about of- that yeah Yeah, no, I know. Let me take two companies I consult for at the moment. One, uh, through all the interviews I've conducted in order to kind of lift the lid on the culture around travel risk management with senior leaders. um, I would say 100% of them have a high desire to look after their people when they travel. I mean, it's just it's obvious the culture just comes across powerfully, but they don't have the tools or if they do, they don't know where they are. So it's cultural, but it's not yet equipping and training and Mm skills. There's another company I work for who go crazy on where they travel to, but that's because the most senior leader in the organization has that attitude. And so it reflects his personality that he just jumps out. You want me to go where? Oh yeah, that's fine, no problem, right? And so all of his senior leadership team do exactly the same thing. They hear of an opportunity, and it may be in the middle of, uh, or the back of Beyond in Angola, or it may be in Afghanistan, or it may be somewhere crazy. And I really do mean that, and they just go, And so what you get is you get the mirroring of the behavior of the person at the top. Um, I had a story when I was in Asia, someone I worked for um, rang me 24 hours before they were off to Iraq. And then they rang me for advice on safety and security. And I'm like, okay, so just just before I give you any advice, you're traveling when? (laughs) So two things. Firstly, I can tell you're going. I can tell you're going no matter what I say, because you're the CEO. I get that. But when you do this tomorrow, just know that you have then immediately changed the entirety of our culture around safety and security in our organization, because everyone will hear where you've gone and when you went. And I can't do anything with that. That will persist. And so all the work we've done over the last 18 months, which was a massive transformation program around training and equipping and attitude, that's going to take us back many, many months. Mm -hmm. So yeah i've seen i see both ends and i see cultural attitudes across organizations but also individual cultural attitudes of leaders that then immediately make a change or or persist or pervade down through the organization
0: no i completely agree i I, it whatever that leadership is like in whatever kind of scope not just to do with travel risk it will always kind of go through so those that, that kind of you know give time and thought to sales presentations and tenders and how they approach that whole strategy versus those that just kind of do it on the cuff all the time. That just it just does run through the whole organization. And why wouldn't it? You know, it's it which is uh-huh. Which is why it's so important i think to try when we're talking about this kind of area or any kind of risk management is this kind of idea of the stakeholders it's not actually on one person yes ultimately it's the ceo's responsibility but actually start building a family of people who can take the strain on this around you because it shouldn't necessarily be your responsibility you you're equipped then to actually handle it um and i think you're right i think companies don't you know, you're never going to you're never going to sit down with a ceo and say do you you know do you not care about your staff and they're going to say no you know that's not going to happen um yeah. but you're right they just don't have the the know-how to do it and i think the smaller the organisation the more difficult it is because these people are wearing so many hats you know how do yeah. they even consider this stuff right now they're just trying to make ends meet and get the sales you know it's just there's just so much to do when you're setting up a business it's a lot easier when you're working just one person for yourself isn't it (laughs) um there's the stress that comes with it but yeah it's a lot easier um i think i'll stay like this for a while um i'm just conscious i haven't stopped your stories because obviously i will dive into conversation you said there were three and i just want to make sure we went over all of them
1: yeah no so Two more, which were both very personal, and they didn't massively change my personality. That's very unlikely to happen. And we'll come back to personality later. It's one of my nuggets, really, at the end. Um, they, They're massive kind of points in my own life journey and only grew my utter commitment and passion to this topic. So firstly, in 2009, I was um, stood 30 yards from a suicide bomber when he blew himself up in the breakfast room of the hotel. And I was the other side of the lobby And, and I remember, I remember it clearly and I didn't get injured and there were bits of concrete raining everywhere, small bits, mostly, but I, I genuinely remember thinking I've just spent a few days in this beautiful hotel in Southeast Asia. And it's been amazing and in in a moment everything changed and i had two colleagues with me i had my bags and for 30 seconds there was complete silence and by that point we're crouched behind a huge concrete pillar thinking what's next and i guess two things occurred one is that i realized that life is incredibly kind of tenuous depending on where you are and what you're doing and who's who else is around you. You can't control any of that. That's, that just is your situation. And the second was that I, if, if I am about to die, Oh wow. um, Yeah. What do I regret? Or what am I going to miss? Or it's just all those things in 30 seconds of silence, all crowd in. And then what I found myself doing was I said to my two colleagues, I said, do you have your phone, your wallet and your passport? Because frankly, nothing else matters those yeah. things are helpful and they're easy to put in your pocket they, all, they said yes and i said right let's go and so we went and we we just left most of our things and and walked slash ran and i that was with the oil and gas company and the oil and gas company were phenomenal and again that was another example of them taking care of us at that point it really didn't matter what work we were there for and what we were doing they just said they took us, they whisked us away. As it happened, they were ready to pick us up for the final day of our work. So we head straight to the office. We go into the crisis suite. We talk about what's next. What do we do? We made some choices about our onward travel. And then we, we went and we, we went for our onward travel and, and made it. It was a very stressful day, but it it completely changed my understanding of how a single event can impact your life and then the choices you make did have ptsd although i had moments where yeah i would i would kind of i would be right back there and i wouldn't know why and i would have moments of complete guilt um that was interesting to me where i would remember it and genuinely feel guilty for not having helped somebody else that i could have helped or that i thought i could have helped you know you yeah. walk out and you see what you see because of what just happened you think oh should i have stopped and helped and yet you're trying to get away and move away from the situation acknowledging that you're not trained to do what really needs to be done right there oh it was complex and hard. wow wow yeah i asked
0: you for a story that is not what i was expecting thank you so much for sharing that yeah. that's absolutely well, life
1: changing it was a it was a literal it was a literal example of a business trip Hotel, taxi, office, airport, all of those things. I mean, it wasn't a strange trip, it wasn't a crazy trip, it was a business piece of business travel, and that happened. Um and so that that will never leave me as being possible. And of course it's the naught point naught one percent of possibility, and it's right at that extreme end. But it does happen. And yeah, I think so that, what
0: happens more, yeah. you know, what we've got to acknowledge is it's happening more and more often you know so we have to you know this isn't something that we can just sort of say these days oh it's just a one-off it it really isn't and we we're doing us and our employees a disservice if we don't start considering it like that you know yeah so it's um it's not kind of oh it will never happen you know we've just lived through what we've just lived through for the last you know two and a half years with the pandemic like it will happen it's just how we come out of it on the other side that that counts and how we prepare for it Uh um and yeah I'm wow I'm just I'm really I've still got shivers running down my spine from that story Mike it's um (laughs) yeah
1: yeah it's an it's an extreme one but it's for me that's real and so because I had already been in a place where I was being shown how good it was to look after people as they travel, to have it well, well planned and be equipped. And I was already equipped in some ways. I, I then, for a very tense few hours, was practicing dynamic risk assessment. I was minimizing the things that were really important and mm-hmm. getting rid of stuff that wasn't, looking after the being with my colleagues, forgetting my stuff, which you can't take with you. I mean, it's just stuff. And, and everything kind of condenses and narrows down to what's really important. Um and I'll never forget that.
0: I just think it's important though to show again, it couldn't have, it could have had a, a negative effect, you know, it just you did make it into a positive thing eventually yes. because you were strong enough. But honestly, something like that could then trigger in such a negative way as well. And we've got to appreciate that, you know. Um I'm just yeah. now what about your next story? I'm I, I I I'm scared to ask.
1: <laughs> well, um that was two thousand and nine. In 2018, I was living in China, and uh, this is where I I, I make a mistake. So um, in China, one of the absolute wonders of city life in China is that there's literally millions of bicycles everywhere. And these are bicycles that you you scan a QR code with your phone, and then it unlocks, physically unlocks. And then you jump on the bike, you ride anywhere in the city, and then you just stop it, put the stand on, lock it, and leave it it charges you tiny amounts, like a Kwai for half an hour. You know, it's 10 pence or whatever. So I'm getting really used to doing this. And I, I'm, I'm cycling from my home to my office, which is a 15-minute cycle ride through downtown, you know, big city China. And so um, a gentleman screeches past me on his, on his car. And I'm three years into China, so I kind of know how things work. But he, he slams on the brakes, double parks in front of me. And as I move out to go past him, he opens his car door. And I hit the top right-angle corner of his front door with my forehead and catapult over the, over the door and hit the concrete. What was my mistake? No helmet.
0: Oh, my I mean, goodness.
1: One of the most foolish things in the world, if I lived here, my children all have helmets. We did before, we do now. But because I'm so used to cycling everywhere in China and no one wears helmets in China, why would I carry a helmet? Because no one else does. Yeah. So I, I've been really impacted by the culture around me. So anyway... Six days later, I've been flat on a bed with bleeding on my brain and all sorts of consequences um, from, from this. Um, and I now no longer have taste or smell because of it. Um, so I've lost those senses. But again, unbelievably well looked after by friends, family, and work. You know, within a few hours, I was in an international, uh, tiny international hospital in the city in China. Really, really well looked after, but just thinking, oh my word it happened again, this complete edge of likelihood event with huge yeah. potential consequences. Um, and thankfully now I am a mountain leader and I still traips my way up big mountains and canoe down rivers and, and do everything that I need to do with my family. And I, I praise God for that and I thank him for it. But wow, yeah, another big event where I felt close to the edge of life and two days later, particularly lying in a, in a hostel bed, just not knowing on a, what on earth was going on um, and thinking, wow, what's important, what's not, who's important, et cetera, et cetera, all those big questions of life. So that's my other massive event, which is another kind of peg in my life's journey related to travel, related to safety, related to choices that we make about what we do. Um Yeah.
0: Right, thank you. I think it just puts it into such perspective and this is exactly, you know, what I was, you know, wanting from, from obviously guests as, as and when they can. And you've just been so honest about this all the way through, you know, right from seven seven, uh right through to, to this such such a personal experience. And I think it this is this is it. This is this is the stuff. Um and we realise then it doesn't come down to money or or we can't afford to put a security budget in. It it really doesn't, because actually when it happens some you know it will be paid for in one way or another and no company is unlikely to do it but if there's a way of preparing for some of this isn't that you know at least then you know people know what to do then that's a that's a good thing so I'm just yeah I'm just I'm stunned I have (laughs) I have a Thailand story as well and I'll share it another time with you um but yeah it was definitely something that put me on the map as far as why I do this too um talk about that at another time but let's just end now with your uh, golden nugget or nuggets if you would Uh like to share those with anyone just wanting to kind of get into this space um how you might start considering things
1: yeah i my my golden nugget is kind of twofold um but it's really about the the non-specifics of travel risk management rather than the specifics. And what I mean is that risk management in general is as much art as it is science. You know, the judgment calls you make about what you know and what you don't know and how you might respond. I mean, all these questions of maybe and if and how, really hard to nail down. And yeah, you've just got to remember that. You know, it's it's great looking at standards on risk management and looking at models and all wonderful phrases, of course, like likelihood and impact, but, It's judgment. At the end of the day, it's a judgment call with so much related to it. So it's science and art. What that takes me to now, so often in conversation with travel risk management, is that if you want to look after your people, you have to remember that they're individuals and they have a unique personality and psychology and attitude. That's my nugget. There's a lovely article in Harvard Business Review from about, I wanna say about seven, eight years ago now, called Risk, it's about risk attitude. And it's about how given the exact same set of compelling circumstances, evidence, information, you and I could come up with a completely um, vastly different set of judgments on likelihood and impact. My example would be this, my wife and I took our children to the Isle of Skye last year for a holiday, it was absolutely amazing, we went to some beautiful pools um, and we I stood on the edge of edge of what to me was a relatively small waterfall. It's about five meters down into it, an extremely deep, ice-cold pool. And I'm calculating dynamically. I could fall off, get cold, get wet, but I'll just run back to the car. It's all gonna be fine. It's so deep, I'm not gonna hit the bottom, the side, blah, blah, blah. So I'm doing all of this in my head. My wife, on the other hand, is stood way back there. <laughs> you know, having kittens, like there are kittens literally running it's around. So with, your because, wife, with her. But you might fall off, and I'm like, Yeah, but I might, but I kind of, yeah, that's okay. So it's just, we're in exactly the same situation at the same time, with the same weather conditions, with the same everything. And yet we come up with a vastly different answer dynamically to what's happening. It it happens all the time with travel. The same flight, the same airport, the same everything can um, bring out of travelers a completely different set of responses. So when we build travel risk management programs in organizations, we, we 100% have to remember that all the time. Personality and the type of person, their psychology, their history will massively influence how they will respond. And I think it's so helpful because it, it reminds us that it is at the end of the day about each individual. It's not about a massive set of rules that make a company look good and are seem right to somebody. It's about an approach, a culture, a set of behaviors and a huge heart for the well being of all of the people in your care, that means you have to remember that they're individuals and you have to take account of personality psychology attitude and and always embrace them
0: amazing amazing i couldn't i I completely couldn't agree more, and I think it's something that you know we try and bring to the fore a lot with this idea of you know people risk management as much as sort of travel risk management because it's exactly that. Everyone's gonna work differently based on, you know, how, how old they are, their life experience, where they come from, um, whether they whether they're, you know, led whether whether they led by good management, whether they're not, whether, you know, there's just so many sure. things. Wheel and travel just makes it, I think, so more It's always been an issue because travel is something that most people do or most people have an opinion of or most people have an experience of depending on where you live in the world so you bring all of that with you as well and then when you kind of bring into the kind of corporate dynamic that kind of back in the 80s and 90s you know it was a very cool thing to be doing jetting off around the world and it was high drinking high impact bad for your personal well-being Bad for heart attacks, but there's, there's these cultures within organisations that still exist today, uh, especially for those kind of at the top who were those travellers, and then you've got kind of this other dimension of um of of people of different ages coming in underneath, completely varied in experiences. Yet the policies kind of set for those top execs. And yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Consider every single person in your company as an individual. But that's what then ties in with occupational health, health and safety. Yeah. Um, diversity and inclusion and all these really exciting things sort of start coming together. And I think it it brings together a a way of actually making this stuff come to life rather than it just being policies. It gives you real life situations where you can care for your people. And I think just to kind of finish, I think that you, you cannot underestimate not only how people will react, but you can help them with that and that's where training and scenario training and all that sort of stuff comes in because you can start guiding them in that you know otherwise you're just literally reliant on people hopefully doing what you hope they're going to do in that situation without you know having just read it on a piece of paper which which just isn't enough is it Mm. um i am so i've loved this conversation mike i just can't thank you enough for, for being a guest today um, so for everybody listening you've been listening to travel respects um and my special guest today mike causey travel risk expert and just generally amazing human being um, i completely understand you're wanting to help people it's it what drives us we're, we're empathic and we're we may be highly sensitive to this stuff too so we just want to make the world a better place mike right yeah, um, and um, so you've been listening to Talking TRM. We'll be back with another episode really soon. Uh, please subscribe and like us, and and leave us a review and tell us all the good things. And we will look forward to him to talking to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31 or 30, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to Ascent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clermark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.